Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Hello, I'm Michael Karam, and welcome to another edition of My Brother's Keeper. Today we're going to be looking uh, again at the nation of Turkey, but not only in its present form, but we're also going to look into a little bit of history of this very, very important land in its biblical geography and in the, um, in the biblical narrative. So before we start, let's just, I want to go to some scripture here in Acts chapter 14, beginning at verse 21. This is one of the main scriptures that we've used as kind of an important part of our program. But um, Acts 14.21 is uh, Paul um, on his first uh, missionary journey. He's returning, and he makes some very interesting uh, comments to these early disciples. It says in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, it's referring to Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed or in whom they had put their trust. So here we have a very interesting sort of uh, scripture that follows the narrative in Acts 13 and 14, which is basically Paul's first journey in today, which is part of central Turkey. But he makes an interesting comment, or makes the, the, or the, uh, Luke makes an interesting comment regarding Paul's instructions to these early disciples. Just as Paul and Barnabas had to go through many tribulations when they first preached the gospel, so he's, he's educating, he's telling, he's He's warning here. He's just instructing these new disciples. They will go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. Today we have with us Jerry Maddox. Uh, Jerry works as a church planter and Bible teacher among Turkish, Kurdish-speaking Muslims and uh, different ethnic groups in the Middle East. He's also the author of numerous books in both Turkish and English on Christianity and, uh, uh, and Islam and has recently um, completed a, and published a book on biblical es- eschatology titled The Beginning of the End. Jerry, welcome to the program. It's an honor to have you with us today. Yes, thank you. My <laughs> Thank you so much. So Jerry, tell us a little bit about yourself. I want to give, um, I mean, you have an interesting history. We've been colleagues, friends for some time, but let our listeners and our viewers know, how, how did you end up in, uh, in, this, in this part of the world? Well, it's a God thing. I mean, uh, I shouldn't have ended up here uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I was born to missionary parents who are still serving God in South America and Bolivia. And then uh, I went to Bible college in the U.S. And that's where I was introduced for the first time to the great needs among the, the Muslim uh, people in the Middle East. I just had no clue. Uh, but I had given my life to the Lord. I wanted to serve Him. And and that was the great call that really rung uh, true with my heart and my, my wife now, uh, Sarah. She also had felt the same call. And so we just uh, just fell in love with the Middle East. I came over and visited when I was 19 mm-hmm. years old, did an exploratory journey. And the Lord just kept opening the doors. Our church was supportive. Uh, Sarah and I then, after a year after being married, we moved to uh, Izmir, 
to Turkey, we learned the language, and then moved over to the eastern side of the country, near to the border with Syria, because my real passion was to help and serve the more unreached peoples in the Middle East. At that point, it was uh, the Kurdish people. And mm -hmm. so we had the joy of serving in Diyarbakir, the local church there, with the local believers for 12 years and helping to establish that church before I was kicked out. And uh, now we live in North Cyprus, Turkish Republic of North Cyprus, where we continue to serve Turks, but also a broader uh, group of people from all over the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. So let's just give our viewers, who many of them maybe don't know, about a little bit of the history of Turkey, the biblical history of Turkey or the land of Turkey, which was Asia Minor before and also in many other regions. Um, you know, tell us about something about it. I'd like to kind of focus in on two specific books that are of interest to both of us, actually. Um, uh, Jerry uh, leads as well the Middle East School Discipleship, a very a, a growing program that's uh, based there in Cyprus and has different people from around the Middle East, but we go through a survey of the Bible. But today I want to focus in uh, most specifically on the book of Acts and Revelation, where we read our scripture from. And also where a lot of the events take place uh, in the land of Anatolia, or what is today modern Turkey. But also in, in Greece, in the Balkans, in Cyprus. Tell us a little bit about something, how you become familiar with all these places and how they relate to the, uh, you know, this ancient biblical uh, story. Well, I guess that's one of the perks of being a missionary in the Middle East is you get to visit most of these places and see them firsthand. So mm -hmm. I've had the joy of going, like you, to most of these places that are listed in the Bible. In fact, the part where we lived in the southeastern Turkey is, is the land of Abraham mm -hmm. and uh, in Haran and all that part. Uh, but we've, I've had the chance to, to see most of their places on Paul's journey. Uh, and yes, it's always fascinating. In Turkey itself, uh, although it was really the bedrock of Christianity, uh, especially with the seven churches and in, in, in the Aegean provinces, uh, today it's awash in Islam. And uh, Christianity is, is uh, you know, re relegated to relics and old, uh, yeah. you know, decrepit churches. Sadly, the Turkish mm -hmm. church as it stands today is, is really quite small. Uh, mm -hmm. We're talking about less than 0.0 percent. In a country of over 85 million people, we wow. have no more than five, 6,000 Turkish believers. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's better than nothing, and we rejoice with them, and we see them as the first fruits of something greater. Mm -hmm. And that tells us, well, how the... You know, living in the land of the Bible, you know, not only in uh, Turkey, but, you know, visiting Greece, Iraq, other places, uh, Israel, around the Middle East. How has that actually even well helped your understanding of the message of the Bible and the experience of these early disciples? Well, I've had the joy of being with you in Israel a number of times. The first time I went back in 2000, uh, I, I felt like I had been seeing the Bible in, in black and white, and suddenly it all turned HD, you know. Yeah. It wow. was amazing. I just kind of came to life in a brand new way. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, going over to some of these places in, uh, in Turkey and other, uh, you know, you, you, it comes alive geographically, most importantly. Mm -hmm. You, know, you can right. see the geography. You can see, oh, he moved from here to there. Oh, now it makes sense why John Mark abandoned the group. He didn't want to go over the mountains, you know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you have a bunch exactly. of different things like this. You come to Salamis. You know, we just live 10 kilometers south of Salamis, where Paul from, and Barnabas yeah. started their Acts, first Acts 13, journey. Yep. And, uh, you know, Salamis, why didn't they plant a church in Salamis? Well, Salamis was the biggest city on the island. It had a large Jewish community, and it already had a church. Right. Uh, they were the ones who planted the church in Antioch. Right. And so Paul and Barnabas were just coming back That's home, excellent. as it were. This was Barnabas' yes. hometown. And it, so they were mm -hmm. launched out from here across the island to Paphos, which mm -hmm. would have been the, the unreached barbarians, you know, and they started their missionary <laughs> journey from there on. 
So just the geography, living there, breathing the air and seeing it makes a huge mm. difference. What about some of the main themes we see in Acts and Revelation? I mean, there's obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's actually quite a small group, but it has a, it seems to me it comes into contact with one of the biggest empires and, you know, there's some different dynamics. And then we have as well that some of those same dynamics in Revelation, what do you see those main themes in those two books and, uh, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the biblical narrative and how they even relate to today? The book of Acts, uh, you love it as much as I do. And uh, mm -hmm. just the whole fact that the church, having received a call from the Lord to the nations, and yet being, uh, I don't want to say negligent, maybe a little bit hesitant mm -hmm. to, to right. move out of their comfort zone in Jerusalem. A little, a little too ethno-centered, maybe. <laughs> yeah, they, they uses this guy named Shaul, you know, Saul, mm -hmm. uh, before he's even a believer. You know, to, to, to push the church out and to fulfill their, their, their destiny, their call to the nations. Excellent and I see point. in a similar way, you know, you look at countries like Iran, where it's been so difficult for the gospel to gain traction. And yet uh, an Iranian pastor says to me, I said, you know, how do you have millions of believers in Iran? And he said, well, God sent us a great apostle. And I said, what do you mean? Who? You know, he said, well, Khomeini. And I said, you got to be kidding. He said, yeah, Khomeini was Amazing. God's gift to us. He opened our eyes. He forced the issue, and we've uh, recognized Islam for what it is and are now turning to Christ. And we have a similar situation unfolding in Turkey now, 20 years under this current administration that's very Islamist, and it's forcing people's eyes to be opened. And uh, mm -hmm. we hope and pray that it will have a similar effect in drawing people mm -hmm. to the truth mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. So right. a similar acts, you know, the Lord using people, even when they're unbelievers, to, mm -hmm. to pr propel the church out of their comfort zone mm -hmm. and uh, through persecution to bring them to fruitfulness. Right. And what about the whole, this issue that's a main issue of, of that Paul then, after he's called from that place of being a persecutor to being one that's persecuted, where part of his calling is, I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for my name. And yet, mm -hmm. how he then, you know, brings these early disciples into that, I mean, right from the beginning. They are filled with joy every time they get persecuted. Sometimes I can't even explain it. How do you actually put all this together when looking at the book of Acts and, and the role persecution plays in almost the birth of every new community? Yeah. Well, looking back at my times here in Turkey, I've got to say the greatest joy for me has been the, the privilege of standing shoulder to shoulder with people who have to suffer for their faith. Yeah. Uh, that's something that's just... We lack in the in the West, and, and that's I think part of the reason why our churches are so lackadaisical. We mm -hmm. haven't had the privilege of serving for Jesus, right. and uh, that has a, a, just an amazing impact on uh, your gospel, your message, mm -hmm. and your motivation, and, mm -hmm. and again the, the dynamics of, of church as it as it works. And so uh, I've had the joy of you know uh, seeing people martyred for Christ, and I call it mm -hmm. a joy. It's a huge mm -hmm. privilege. Wow. You know, to, to see how these Incredible. people have suffered for Christ and paid the ultimate price. And mm. you just feel so challenged by that, right. you know. And for right. us, you know, most of us can leave the country and we have a passport. And But to be able to say, no, I'm going to stay in the hot seat here. Uh, mm. I'm going to suffer with these guys because mm -hmm. I see that uh, God is working through them and in them and blessing their work in right. spite of the often through this persecution. So, Amazing. you know, for me, it's just been a huge privilege to right. be able to learn from believers like that. Mm, well said. I mean, you know, we all know a little bit of that, uh, you know, the, the massacre in, in, in Malatya back in 2007 and how that not only affected, 
you know, the country, but, you know, sent a, a, in some ways a, a message to many others around the Middle East. And um, yeah, just, just a, let's just kind of step back a bit more and go back to the modern nation of Turkey. It's not a very old nation, but a very prominent nation and a very important nation right now in the Middle East. Um, maybe give our, our viewers and our listeners a little bit of an understanding about, you know, where it came from in the Ottoman Empire to the modern nation today. Part of our problem as Westerners is we have a very short memory. You know, okay. from our perspective, we always lived in a secular, democratic West. And that's actually a very small sliver of history. It's just been the last hundred years. Just less than a hundred years ago, we could still speak of a great Ottoman Empire uh, ruling much of the Middle East. Uh, and that was the case for four or five hundred years. Uh, and this had become a decrepit empire uh, known as the, you know, the, the sick man of Europe. Europe. And yeah. it had fallen apart largely by the end of World War I when they aligned themselves with the Germans. But uh, Ataturk, uh, a colonel in the, in the Turkish army, was able to salvage a country out of that. And he recognized you know, this country was being hurt by its uh, historic uh, religion and faith and, and just by the fact that it was against modernization. And so he uh, adopted secularization and democracy as a new bedrock, as it were, for the nation, the budding nation of, of, of then he called it Turkey. And instead of uh, gathering the forces around a religious identity, he sought to gather them around a new identity, which was Turkishness. And mm -hmm. so he really you know, promoted this. Uh, and, and to try to kind of break away from the past, he even uh, cut them off uh, from their from their historic roots by changing the language, updating right. it, upgrading into a and Latin changing alphabet. Changing the alphabet, yeah. Mm -hmm. Away from Ottoman. Uh, right. uh, now we're having Western dress, uh, right. Western education. I mean, mm -hmm. he even went so far as to change the day of rest from Friday, the historic Islamic day, to Sunday. Yes. And in Turkey, Sunday is a is a holiday today. So he did a he took a lot of steps to try to make right. Turkey uh, basically a Western nation. Right. And he almost succeeded, except for Turkey is still 99% Muslim. Right. And uh, he recognized Excellent. that uh, the Islamic masses would, would try to research from time to time. And so he basically set up the Turkish military, of which he was a part of, as mm -hmm. kind of the custodians of democracy and secularism. And so over okay. the 70, 80 years of the history of Turkey, uh, you've seen different coup, different attempts to try to kind of bring Islam back into politics and the mm -hmm. Turkish military. They would always step in and have a coup and settle things back down and say, no, we're a secular nation. Everybody cool off. And that worked well until 2001 when a party was elected that uh, pretended to be democratic and, and, and secular, but everybody knew they were religious and, and, and uh, really died in the wool. Right. Uh, and yet for some time, they tried to promote this idea. We're still going to try to join the European Union. But slowly but surely, that uh, that party, the current ruling party, who has now been in power for 20 years almost, uh, basically changed the direction of the country from right. uh, a secular, Western-leaning uh, nation to more Eastern-leaning, uh, more Islamic in nature and identity. Mm -hmm. And changed everything in Turkey. Turkey that used to be the great shining beacon of democracy in the Middle East is, is now awash in uh, mm -hmm. Islamic policies and, you know, failed. It's coming to the point of, of failing right. on many different levels, economically and otherwise. Right. Yeah, and no, it's, I mean, we know it's in a very difficult situation right now economically. That's part of the kind of the what's happening around the Middle East. Just because we're limited for time a little bit, focus in and give us a little bit of history. You said there's only about 5,000 Christians in a nation of about 80 million. Can you give us a short history of the church in Turkey, how it's developed since the 
fall of the Ottoman Empire, the fall of the actually the caliphate and the sultanate actually into the modern nation state. Okay, the church in uh, Turkey really has a long, long history. Going back to the first and second century, we have what they call Sudiani believers that still speak the language of Jesus. Wow, it's amazing. Aramaic, yes, Neo-Aramaic, that's right. For a long time, they've survived a lot of empires that have come and gone, the Roman, the mm-hmm. Byzantine, and then later the Ottoman Empire. Right. And uh, by the early 1800s, uh, you had uh, now the influx of Protestant missionaries trying to revive these churches and bring them back uh, to life and make them uh, so that they would really reach the Muslim masses. Uh, right. That was a, more or less a failed experiment because in the end, um, even though you know, a good Protestant church was formed, it was mainly the minorities, Armenians and uh, Suriani and others, Greeks. but uh, they were not yeah. effectively able to reach the Turks and the Kurds, and in the end mm-hmm. they ended up being massacred. Uh, mm-hmm. So after 1915 and onward, there was really no church to speak of, uh, mm-hmm. until about 1960 when some young men from Wheaton showed up in Turkey and, and started to do Bible correspondence course and distribution. And right. it was was hard. You know, mm-hmm. uh, some of the early believers were Sudianis who had become Protestants and oftentimes maligned by their own Sudiani family members. But mm-hmm. the church slowly gained steam so that by the 1990s, we, we would talk about 20 or so evangelical Protestant churches uh, here in in Turkey, but then mm-hmm. that that's really grown since the, the turn of the of the of the millennium, and mm-hmm. now we're talking about over 200 uh, wow. evangelical churches all across mm-hmm. the country of Turkey. Many of them mm-hmm. are small home right. groups uh, clustered in the large cities like Istanbul and Antakya, Antalya, mm-hmm. and uh, Ankara. But pretty much across the country, uh, in most of the provinces now, you do have local indigenous churches. Although recently, in the last year or two, many, if not most of the Christian workers in the country have had to leave, the foreign mm-hmm. Christian workers right. uh, like myself, because of persecution and pressure from the government. Okay. So what are the, uh, you, you just kind of got into the main subject that we want to talk about. What are some of the biggest challenges facing the Turkish-speaking church, the Kurdish-speaking churches in the area, you know, not only in Turkey, but in Iraq, Syria, you know, all around the Middle East? And, uh, and you know, what would you, how do they kind of relate also to the same challenges of that first church? One of the difficulties is, is an identity issue. Uh, Turks mm. see themselves as Muslims, and to be a Turk is to be a Muslim, and they just can't think outside that box. Right. And so a lot of prejudice is, 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 is kind of been the backwash of this. And Christians uh, struggle with this. People who are maybe interested in Christianity, that's their greatest hang-up is, you know, if I become a Christian, am I abandoning my, my Turkish identity? Am I betraying my people? And mm. it's important to show them, listen, that has nothing to do with that. You, you choose Christ and you remain a Turk or a Kurd or whatever. If, any, right. if anything, you become a light to that people. And, 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 in a way, and in a way, let me just jump in. And in a way, that was the same struggle of the Jewish believers in that first, uh, the first communities as well. They said, am I going to, you know, am I going to be thrown out of the synagogue? How do I, where's my identity now? This was a very, very, you know, big subject. And it, you know, comes out in the biblical narrative. Yeah, same issues that are still hampering the, the spread of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, we have persecution. Persecution has always been, you know, a, an issue, but... We've seen that persecution, if anything, as it is in the book of Acts. It, it really does serve to bolster the Lord's work, challenging believers to, to move forward with the gospel. Purifying and, the faith, uh, yeah. 
One of the issues, though, is right now is, is, is the Christian workers that have moved here, foreign missionaries, are not able to continue to pastor churches and, and, and uh, pursue ministries, but, uh, and they're having to leave. Now, a struggle, as, as challenging as that is for the local believers, interestingly, it's also forcing them to rise to the occasion and mm -hmm. to really take the mantle of leadership and these ministries and these local churches, which I think is a good yeah. thing it's in good. the end. Yeah, yeah, very much. So, um, you know, zeroing in back in the into the the biblical narrative, most of these, uh, or moving over to a subject of great, you know, interest and passion for you, the churches in Revelation. All seven churches of the uh, of Revelation are actually were part of Asia Minor, part of today Western Turkey. How do how do you see what's being you know the, the you know some of the challenges that they're facing? Are they only related to you know, that time and that period? Or do you see a wider application of those seven churches, not only for believers in the Middle East, but for believers around the world? Well, the book of Revelation comes to a whole other program on this, Mike. But uh, <laughs> what's fascinating about the book of Revelation is that it's a letter. It's, it's a massive letter written mm -hmm. specifically to the seven churches, which are today located in Western Turkey. Uh, and I think they were specifically singled out because they were churches that uh, John likely pastored, that he visited. It was his itinerant uh, course right. journey that he would do. And so he was intimately familiar with them. But they were singled out, I think, as a representative sample of, of, of churches all throughout uh, the world then and throughout the, down through the centuries today. And mm -hmm. so each letter finishes with this really important phrase saying that, Whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Lord says to the churches, to, to the church at large, the global church, yeah. the, the church, you know, down through the centuries. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's really specific messages to them uh, mm -hmm. and that can be applied to all the churches today. Uh, right. And the greater message, of course, of the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus uh, not just about the future, and that's an important element there. I think we mm -hmm. need to see that there's people today just interpreting it in a historic way, which I think is a is a mistake. There are historic elements in it, but there's also a clear futuristic element. But there's one part that we need uh, to be careful not to miss, is that Jesus was, it's a self-revelation of Jesus. Yeah, okay? very good. Very good. This, that's, it, I've never thought about that. That's an excellent point. This is an autobiography. Okay, this is the mm -hmm. one letter in the Bible that Jesus writes. Wow. He writes this and he pens this to the churches and to all of us. And right. so I and so this is why you have the special blessing to him who will obey mm -hmm. it and who right. will read it. Because Very this good. is Jesus speaking to us down through the centuries to mm -hmm. us today. Now, the, the really cool part of this is you see Jesus suddenly appears to John. Now, mm -hmm. if there's any human being who was most intimately acquainted with the Lord Jesus Christ, it was the John. One, the, the disciple was, whom Jesus loved. Yes. You know, like his cousin, so mm -hmm. close to him, the, mm -hmm. the, the disciple Jesus loved, and yet John falls flat on his face. Right. Now, Amazing. to the glory of Jesus, he's overwhelmed by this. But there's another element, and, and I think it's pertinent to us today. See, at that point, uh, John is probably writing in the, in the 90s, late 90s. Jesus mm -hmm. has ascended to heaven about 60 years before that. And the clear expectation that he left him with was, I'm coming back. I'm coming back soon. And they had been preaching the gospel, spreading the gospel. They suffered persecution. By then, they'd seen the temple destroyed and diaspora and all these things Jesus had spoken about had come right. to reality. But Jesus had not come back. Mm -hmm. Big question of where is this guy? You know, was this <laughs> true good. or not? Have we Very just good. been sold a bag of goods? 
And right. I think even people like John might have been similar to John the Baptist thinking, you know, did we believe in the right guy? Right. You know, when, where are you? And so right. when Jesus suddenly pulls back the curtain and says, I'm here, John. I am right. perfectly in control of everything. Mm, and history. In, in, the, church, yeah. the revelation of who Jesus is, where he stands, he is firmly in control of the churches. He holds the stars, walking mm. among the candlesticks. A clear vision of the future is exactly what John needs to hear, what the early church needed to hear, and what we need to hear today. Very good. Jesus is coming back. He is firmly in control of history. Unfortunately, we've been through many different cycles of different views and opinions on eschatology in the late 60s and 70s. People got so hung up on a particular form of eschatology, I think, Mm -hmm. that then run its course to the point where today people don't even want to talk about eschatology. They've almost you know? thrown out, you're right, they've almost thrown out the baby with the bathwater, but I think people are now thinking very seriously about these issues. Jerry, you talked about a couple different challenges facing Turkish believers, the Turkish church, the Kurdish church, really the church in the Middle East as a whole. Besides identity and persecution, what else, how else, or what, what are some ways we can pray for the church in Turkey? We don't have a lot of time left, but maybe you could just point out a few, and then we could move into prayer. Okay. Yeah, the issues, it's, it's tempting to always talk about persecution and to say, you know, God protect us. You know, I've given up asking God to protect us because I, oftentimes it's through those fiery trials that God does greater things. And so That's right. it's God, whatever you need to do to get the gospel out to these nations, even if it means us suffering and and having to ordeal and go through the fiery furnace in the process. So I think as the early church did in Acts 4, we need to pray that God would give us greater courage and Amen. do greater works Amen. and work wonders and open eyes and, and, and speak to people in dreams and visions and do whatever he needs to do to, to bring in that harvest. And ultimately, I believe that the Middle Eastern nations, uh, especially the non, uh, well, obviously non-Jewish, I was going to say, there's only one Jewish nation, but all <laughs> the other nations are going to serve as the nations to bring Israel to, uh, to, to jealousy. And uh, I just, I just have this in my heart that God would raise up these nations, especially north and south of, of, of Israel, to draw Israel to jealousy, because that Amen. is going to then spark the return of the Lord Jesus. Excellent. Jerry, lead us in prayer. We have about a minute and a half left, but it's important that you know, they see how do you pray for these nations. You know, you've been there for years. You've traveled. You've discipled. You've planted churches. You've walked through some very difficult things with these believers. Lead us in prayer before we, uh, before we close. Okay, be an honor. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we are just grateful to know that you are at the helm of history, that mm-hmm. you are the Alpha and the Omega. You've got it all under wraps. And Lord, even as we might sometimes succumb to doubts about uh, the future and the, the state of affairs right now, we know that you are drawing things together beautifully mm-hmm. and bringing it all under the headship of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would indeed bring these nations to your feet, Jesus, and that they would Amen. join a great chorus of rejoicing and worshiping the Lamb. And mm-hmm. so, Lord, we pray that you would especially work among these Muslim nations, Lord, uh, bringing mm-hmm. up disciples, real passionate disciples, passionate Amen. about Jesus, about the gospel, Amen. about reaching out across Amen. borders, and that we would see, Lord, uh, your kingdom become a reality here on earth in our day. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray that Mm. even as they suffer, go through persecution, that they would uh, have uh, just the the, the joy uh, of experiencing your peace in those hard times and to uh, just just see that harvest come to reality in our day, Lord Jesus. May it come in our day, Lord Jesus, for your namesake, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Jerry, thanks for joining us today on My Brother's Keeper. It's been 
uh, enlightening as always. Uh, I think there's much more we could talk about, much more we could say. I want to say to our viewers, thank you for joining us on My Brother's Keeper as well. From Jerusalem, I'm Michael Karam. We look forward to seeing you again on another edition. Shalom from Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.